Hello, and welcome to Girl, You're Mental, the number one global hit podcast, according to our moms. Only on Girl, You're Mental will you be able to get all your little mentally ill K-pop stripper girl content. On today's episode, we will be discussing how we can change the narrative moving forward and find solutions. Welcome to Girl, You're Mental. Thank you, Sara, again for that wonderful introduction. You're so good at that. Um, Thank you, I try. <laughs> <laughs> so in our last episode, we kind of introduced a lot of our topics and um, identified some areas that we researched. Uh, so let's just go ahead and recap what we talked about yesterday. Um, and then we can get started with today's episode, uh, talking about um, the current status quos of our specific areas and then how we can shift the point of view away um, from stigma and into a better world. Yeah, so giving a little bit of like a recap into, into our last episode, we really focused on barriers. Despite our topics being so vastly different, um, some of the same barriers exist in, in a lot of the, the industries and institutions that we're individually talking about. Teresa, do you want to talk about the kind of barriers that existed in in your area of expertise? And then from there, we can kind of expand on summaries of all the barriers that exist in our given research topics. For my specific project, I discussed how female minors in the K-pop industry are under the authority of male-dominated creative teams and entertainment companies that tend to generate sexualized concepts that are unfit for minors. And the creative team for these K-pop girl groups tend to create music videos and song lyrics that appeal to the male gaze, considering that fan bases include males, and often they integrate very revealing clothing, assign sexualized choreography, utilize camera angles that tend to accentuate body parts and generate lyrics with very sexual connotations. And these are all designed for minors in the industry. So that was the main barrier for mine. Rebecca, do you want to talk about yours? I discussed about how in the last few decades, strippers and sex workers have been portrayed in a negative light in their cinema representation. According to Professor Weitzer, who studies film at George Washington University, the stripping profession and sex work as a whole are often highlighted as a quintessential form of male domination over women. Past movies have continued to perpetuate these stereotypes, characterizing strippers as passive, objectified women who exist solely for the pleasure of the male audience, adhering to Laura Mulvey's male gaze. Yeah, and I think expanding upon both of those um, barriers that exist in both Rebecca and um, Teresa's research projects, I think mine was very similar in the sense that we're discussing these male-dominated or traditionally male-dominated industries or the male gaze has been ever prevalent in them for, for a long time. And I think the same thing exists in mine, despite mine being about... Um, young girls and female representation in television. 
I think that same idea of, you know, shifting the narrative from, you know, these stereotypical representations of female leads and characters, characters that just perpetuate harmful gender norms, kind of shifting that narrative from those harmful stereotypes to representations of female characters um, that are positive and authentic and nuanced. And so I think that's something that we all really, really have in common, but that barrier that we all face is, is, is kind of similar, just exists in different contexts. Men. Hence the barrier is men. Ugh, I hate them all. Yeah. You um, especially. <laughs> so mine's not so much male focus, but speaking about like the, the male gaze and sort of like this idea of objectification, um, I mean, it, it's present in, I would say, the mental health uh, aspect here at Harvard in the sense that uh, Harvard as an institution objectifies its students instead of treating them as students, as human beings with feelings and emotions and providing the necessary resources for promoting their mental health. They treat them as liabilities and objects that carry this legal risk uh, whenever they're experiencing these intense um, ideations of suicide and self-harm. And so in that sense, I would say that's how I'm able to connect my project into y'all's. So we talked about barriers and uh, the status quo and whatnot. How do we shift the, the point of view? How do we shift the stigma and get away from these harmful stereotypes and these harmful barriers that um, so many institutions and industries have imposed upon our groups? Yeah, I think it's a matter of you know, making sure that authentic representation, you have to build it from, from the root up. So in terms of female representation, in film and television, which is what I focused on, I think there's a lot to say for for shows and and films and whatnot who have authentic representation on and off screen. Because you can have, you know, a little girl on screen, you can have people of color on screen, whatever it may be. But if you don't have that behind the camera as well, you're not going to achieve authentic representation. So what I discussed in our last episode was like that interview I did with the creator of um, the show I was focusing on, Dino Dana. And so he's obviously a white man. Um, And initially, he was the one that was creating these shows and, you know, he took it upon himself to make sure that he was, you know, making shows with female leads when he learned how bad the state of representation was initially in like the early 2000s but now what he's kind of shifted um, into is making sure that he has women behind the camera women in the writer's room women directing producing whatever it may be just so that that line of authenticity just remains remains throughout the whole process Teresa, I feel like that was kind of something that you touched on as well with like making sure that women are kind of existing in these executive roles in in the K-pop industry too. I think ours are very similar in that sense. Yeah, I would definitely agree. The creative teams as of now are very male dominated. And one thing that could help sort of break this status quo is to include more female voices by recruiting more female staff members 
who would be able to position these female minors away from the male gaze just because they are also in the position of being in a male-dominated industry. And although female um, producers and creative staff members may not immediately be able to voice their thoughts and direct the whole entire production of the music video, this would still be able to provide these female minors with some sense of a voice through representation from like-minded females, um, especially because they are minors and they cannot give legal consent or make decisions on behalf of themselves. So including these female positions would lessen the external suppression that I was talking about in the last episode from males in the creative production team. Teresa, I think that you made some great points there. Hustlers definitely presents a successful example of good representation in the film industry. Rather than positioning women and strippers and specifically as objects for male pleasure, the strippers are represented as real people with desires, motivations, and feelings of their own. And upon looking on how this movie got created, we can see that Laura Scafaria, uh, the director and writer of this film, really fought for it to be made. She had to go to many different production agencies and really fight for like three years, having to rewrite the script several times, but she still maintained the original identity of the film and she was able to hire Mr. Bonzani, who was able to do the cinematography to the aspect of making the women as athletes, making them as people. And specifically, one thing that I feel like can be utilized in other films, and it provides a good example, is the close-ups. Traditionally, close-ups are used on men's faces for us to identify with the male protagonist. But in Hustlers, uh, the close-ups were used to capture the emotional moments of how the strippers were feeling when they took a naked man they had drugged and they took him to the hospital, something a man might not have even done or thought of. And they were crying and they were concerned and really highlighting how the women feel while they're doing these acts, that they're real people, they're not just in it for the money. And it kind of counteracted and almost reversed the roles of a movie like Wolf of Wall Street, where the men are just in it for the money, they're greedy, they're getting girls, but in this movie, the women might be getting money, but they're real people, they're mothers, and they have their own families to support. Awesome. So, like, in the movie, um, the showing them as real people and showing them as athletes, that's kind of the way that they're, like, stepping out of that harmful stigma of what a typical stripper might be and how that's related to a man and, and senses like that, right? Yeah, not only that, Andrew, but they also highlight the bonds between the strippers and emphasizing that female friendship uh, one central scene is they were sitting around the Christmas tree giving each other presents of mink coats and Gucci bags. And at one point, Ramona hugged Destiny and said, we don't need anybody else, do we? Um, and it was such a moment of the women connecting, creating their own matriarchal structure, not a patriarchal structure. And I think this movie exemplifies how effective representation of a stigmatized group like strippers can provide an opportunity for the audience to respond to characters, to connect to them on a deep level, and reverse the stigma associated with being a stripper, being a woman. Just because you dress sexy does not mean that men have to objectify you. 
Yeah, that sense of friendship isn't really something that's traditionally associated with strippers in, in any sense. And I, I feel like most people would assume that there's some male in charge of like the, the establishment, and so they're all under this man. But I really like the idea of them running their own business and being friends together and supporting one another um, and how the movie shows them as friends and athletes and real, real people. Um, I wish Harvard cared about us like real people. Um, when, it, when it comes to Harvard and the current stigmas and how we can shift those, um, there's this uh, a fear among the students of repercussions for having mental illnesses. Um, there's been several documented cases where students who were showing uh, signs of suicide or self-harm were forced to take leaves of absences uh, by the resident deans or any other higher personnel in the administration. And so as that uh, spreads across the rest of the students, um, no one is willing to to give up their education that they've worked so hard for um, just because they're going through a tough time and that they're struggling with the disease of depression. Um, And so Harvard is punishing its students for having a disease and I, I don't think that's right um, and I think the the way we get out of that is um, prohibiting forced leaves of absences I don't think anyone should be forced to leave school um, I, I think Harvard needs to expand the infrastructure associated with its mental health network and ensure students aren't waiting six weeks out of a semester to even get a primary consult with a clinician at CAMS um, shifting that, that point of view away from, uh, from fear and the stigma associated with seeking mental health related care, that's how we get out of sort of this toxic campus culture of uh, students shouldn't have diseases or they, they shouldn't need mental health care because they're supposed to be at the top of their game and successful in all these different ways. Andrew, I think one thing that connects all of our topics is that this idea of being silenced, right? So in our, Teresa, Sara, and mine, our projects were about how the male gaze is kind of silencing uh, the people represented in films, and in mine in particular, how women and women represented in the camera and on film can subvert the male gaze. Um, And in yours, Andrew, the institution is literally silencing the Harvard students and sending them home and saying, whatever you do, we don't want to hear it. Uh, that's exactly what's happening. I, they're treating students as this legal liability instead of actual human beings, and mm-hmm. they're essentially dismissing all of the, the the last four years of high school where we've worked hard to get to where we are now, and for uh, upperclassmen who have spent two, three years here already, they're just ignoring all of that hard work and just being like, well, uh, you get to go home and you essentially have to apply to get back into the school and you have to prove uh, that you're no longer a harm to yourself. And so that is, it's really not uh, how care is given and it doesn't lead to effective treatment and um, students just, they don't seek out the treatment in the first place because they're afraid of being sent home and it's not right. I think minors in the K-pop industry also face a very similar struggle as these students because first of all, they are basically students, but they are dedicating most of their time to participate in this K-pop industry, which can oftentimes be very toxic. And in that sense, it could really be impacting their mental health as well, just because they are 
facing both external and internal suppression, like one from the males in these creative production teams, but also from themselves as well, because since they're not getting the care that they need, the attention and the voice being upheld by anyone because they are minors, they are forced to kind of make themselves be comfortable with concepts and costumes and choreography and lighting and production that they may not necessarily be comfortable with. So are they able to leave the industry um, if they don't feel comfortable with it anymore? They are able to leave the industry, but oftentimes they set a goal to just debut because afterwards, since they spend so much time and money in becoming a trainee and then trying to debut, going back would be a very big setback for them. So they make a very big choice from the beginning, but if they are um, willing to step down, they can do that. But it would be really hard to bring their life back to something else just because they have spent so much time and money on it. I mean, it's a similar situation to the students here. I don't think it's fair that anyone should be forced out of something that they love Mm -hmm. just because other people around them are making them uncomfortable or unsafe. So how do you how do you make the girls safe? How do you make them comfortable? Is it going through that um, genuine, authentic representation like we were talking about earlier? Yes, I would definitely say that going back to the roots of what these productions and these entertainment companies are generating is really, really important and including more representation within the people who are the actual decision makers is crucial for the protection of these minors and to allow them to continue thriving in this industry without having to sacrifice their own sense of comfort. So I guess what we're getting at here is that maybe in all of our topics, whoever's in power should include more voices of people who have been suppressed and people who are of minority groups, women, and really allowing everyone's voices to be heard. Mm -hmm. I think what I'm hearing and what seems to kind of just be bubbling at the top for all of our um, for all of our topics what's kind of shining through here is that we're all advocating for the humanization of each of our individual groups that we're advocating for Um, so in your case Rebecca it's you know strippers and the stripping industry Teresa for you it's child stars in the k-pop industry and young girls for me it's female representation and specifically the representation of young girls in television like in my case we've reached gender parity in in terms of representation of girls and women um, in children's television, but it's that idea of like, okay, we've reached gender parity, but what now? Are those representations of women, of girls on screen um, authentic? Are they contributing to a positive, um, a positive portrayal of what it means to be a young girl, of what it means to be a woman? Um, and so... I think in that sense, all three of us here are advocating for the humanization of these representations of girls. And then Andrew, yours is just even on a larger scale. It's the humanization of people in real life. Um, and, And of course, all of our 
industries, the K-pop industry, you know, um, children's programming, um, film, whatever it may be. Obviously, all those things impact real life because, as we know, like media shapes your perceptions and and the way you view the world and yourself. But Andrew, yours kind of takes that into the real world and and into this like immediate reality of of how people are are feeling and how their mental health is affected. So I think that's really cool that we have that all in common of that, you know, we're all advocating for the humanization of these individual groups. Yeah, there's uh, definitely a lot of work to be done in all of these areas, but I I feel like with our research, we've kind of um, got this great starting point for uh, recommendations on how we can shift these stigmas and how we can change the point of view um, and better reflect these groups. Mm -hmm. Um, Does anyone have any final final comments they want to say? Awesome. So thank you once again for listening in. We, uh, in our first episode, we talked about our, our barriers in these industries and um, whatnot. And today we talked about our solutions. And so once again, thank you for joining us on Girl, Girl Your Mental. Mental.